All right, it's been a little while, so I would like to ask you to say this with me. The words will be on the screen behind me, but let's just say a short version of this together. We are the body of Christ called to live different because of Jesus. You can do better than that. Let's do it one more time. We are the body of Christ called to live different because of Jesus. That's it. That's it. There's more to it, but that's it. As people who believe in Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, who believe in God, this is what, on a fundamental level, we are called to do and to be, right? To to be people who are different, who live different, and because of who we are, because of who we are becoming and being changed as we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, to then to live different, to do things different, to do life different. And if you're anything like me, you've been painfully reminded in the world around us that it's It's now more than ever that the church needs to rise up and to be a light in a dark place. And so I want to ask you as we begin today this simple question. Who has God positioned you to share the love of Christ with? Who is God? Who has God uniquely positioned you, no one else but you, to share the love of Jesus Christ with? It's a big question. But I believe that this is part of God's plan. It's how he's moving in the world. This is his idea, not my idea. He's not looking for churches with more programs. He's looking for people who are coming together who are believing in him, worshiping his son, to then to go out from this place and just to be his light in our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our communities. That's his plan. But his plan doesn't work unless you share the love of Christ with those around you. If that doesn't happen, his plan folds and it's done. And we know what it looks like when that happens because we've seen it in the news. We see what happens when the love of Christ is completely void and all that's left is darkness and hate and evil and violence and death. And I know your hearts are breaking because my heart is breaking and our hearts break when we see this and we just can't believe it. And we wonder how is this possible that this still exists in the world around us. And the truth is, it does. And the truth is, man, if the world ever needed the love of Christ, it needs it now. And we as the body of Christ called to step up to live different in this world and to be that light and today what I want to do is we're going to take a quick break and from what we've been doing we've spent the last few weeks talking about the life of Moses do good and be brave which really speaks into that as well but today what I want us to do is to think about what it means for us just today we'll start something new next week what does it mean for us today to truly be a people who live different because of Jesus. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, it was a Saturday at our house, and I don't know what life is like at your house on Saturday, but our house on this Saturday especially, it was, it was clean up the house day. Do you have these days at your house? And so everybody at our house has a job to do. Kids are picking up toys. You know, Alicia's doing her thing. And my job is to vacuum, which I actually 
I'm glad that's my job because I don't know where anything goes. Like I'm useless. <laughs> but I can, I can push that thing around the room. And so uh, the kids are all picking up stuff and I'm going around the house vacuuming. In the last room, I always vacuum in our house just because it's, it's you know, my route. Uh, I always end up in like the master bathroom. And our master bathroom may be like yours. We've got those classic white tile floors. And so I, I vacuum the bath mats real quick, pick them up, hang them over the tub, vacuum the rest of the floor up, get it all cleaned up, looking nice and pretty. You know, we finish up and go about our day. Fast forward to that night. And, you know, Sunday's coming, so it's, you've got to get showers and get cleaned up and look like we have it all together. And, uh, and so we send the kids off to the showers. And my daughter, Ella Gray, she's our middle child. She's nine years old. And uh, I have her permission to tell the story. Uh, she goes to our master bath to take her shower like um, she always does. That's kind of, what, you know, what she does. And she does that. And Alicia and I are in another room with one of our kids when all of a sudden we hear this loud thud followed by a sharp scream. Yeah. So we drop what we're doing, and you know, as parents, you kind of know. It's like, okay, this is like 911 level. We run into the master bathroom, and there lay my daughter Ella Grace, um, you know, screaming in violent pain. Her head's cracked open. There's blood everywhere. It's just terrible. Father of the year here forgot to put the bath mats back out, and so when she stepped out of the shower with those wet feet on that wet floor, she went for a ride, and uh, it was not fun. She's crying. Alicia's in panic, and I'm like, what do we do? And that's the question you ask, right? Like when, when someone's hurt, when there's an emergency, the first question you ask is, who do we call for help? And it took us a minute to figure that out. It's like, who do we call? What ER do we go to? What hospital? What, who do we know? Like, how does this work? Like, we've never had, we haven't had this crisis yet. Who do we call? The good news, she's okay. She's fine. But this is what we do, isn't it, church? When you have a problem, whether it's a relational problem, a sickness, financial problem, a work problem, problem with your kids, whatever the problem is, the question that every one of us is asking this morning with whatever problem is going on in our life is, who do we call for help? And maybe the worst feeling in the world is being hurt and not knowing where to go to get the help we need. It's one thing to be hurt, but know where the answers are, to know how to fix the problem, to get the help that you need. But when you're hurt and you don't know where to go to find the help you need, that may be the worst feeling in the world. And what happens so many times, especially for us, is we're hurting, and we need help, and we don't know where to go for help. And so finally we start going to all the wrong places for help. We start seeking counsel from those outside the church, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but people who walk with the Lord are going to give you different advice from those who walk with the Lord. Or we start turning to other things to fill that void and to numb the pain, whether it's social media or drugs and alcohol, or you fill in the blank. And we're looking for help, but we're looking in all the wrong places because we're trying to find something to numb the pain and the pain that we have because we can't figure out the problem. We can't solve the puzzle. We're hurting. We don't know where to go to get help. And today what I want us to do is to look at a story, an ancient story of a man by the name of Naaman who was in this exact situation. So today I want us to look at this, but what I want us to think about throughout the story, this ancient story, is how does it call us to live different today because of God, because of our relationship with Jesus. Next week we're going to start a new series just so you know where we're going. 
called This Is Us. It's going to be all about the church, the body of Christ, what it means for us to be a church, what it means for us to be a part of the body of Christ. I think it's going to be a great series for us to talk about and think about. Being a member of the body of Christ, a member of the church, it's not like being a member of a country club. It's not about the benefits and the services you get, right? Being a member of the body of Christ is about what we get to do and participate in the world around us. It's going to be a great series. But today, what I want to lean into is what does it mean just for us on a fundamental level, to live different because of our relationship with God and because we are followers of Jesus. So if you have a Bible or device, I want you to turn that on, open that up to 2 Kings 5. And we're going to read just part of the story this morning, but I want you to hear what happens in the life of a man by the name of Naaman, who, at the beginning of the story at least, was not a believer in God or a follower. But this is what happened. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. So Naaman here, if you don't know anything about Naaman, was the military commander of an army, and his king had great respect to, uh, for him because of all of his victories. He was a man of power and position. He was a man who had it all figured out, who had everything he needed. And you may not know Naaman, but you know people like this, right? They don't really need anything. They don't really need anybody. They've got it all. But Naaman had a problem he couldn't fix, and his problem was one of those problems that he couldn't fix, and he didn't really even know where to go for help. And you know what this is like. Because when you don't have a problem, you don't know where... To go to find the help you need, what often happens is you begin to lose hope, and Naaman is at this point. But verse 2 At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives, captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. Now, this is where I think the story gets really interesting. Some of you have never heard this, so you'll pick up on this pretty quick. Some of you have heard the story all your life, so it kind of just goes past us because we're so familiar with it. But don't miss this. Naaman is the military commander of an enemy army, an army uh, from which they have invaded the land of Israel. And when they invaded the land of Israel, they won the battle, and they took captive children. And one of those children was a young girl. And she's now a slave in his house. Just let that sink in for a minute. She's been cap- taken captive. And now she's living as a slave. And what's amazing is that this young Israelite girl has compassion on the military leader of an enemy army who invaded and torched her town and took her away as a slave. And what is her one desire? That her new master, who's suffering from this horrendous disease, could go back to where she used to live and see a prophet of God in that town and find the hope and healing that he needs. Wow. You know, it's often through our kids that we learn the most about God. Amen? (laughs) Wow. And I wonder, I just wonder, if this slave girl already knew what the rest of us some thousands of years later are still trying to figure out, That God's desire has always been for his people to be a light to all people. That God's desire was always that the whole world, that every nation, that every tongue, every tribe 
We know that he is the one true God. It seems like she knew that in the innocence of her youth before the rest of us even had a clue, right? That God's desire. But what happened in Israel happens to us is instead of turning outward to shine a light for God, they turned inward. And because of that, because of that, it led over and over again to their destruction. So verse 4. Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him, and I will send a letter of, int- of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts of 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Now when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Now remember, Naaman is the military leader of the enemy army. Every other time he's come to Israel, he's come to bring war. And now he comes in riding his horse with a white flag and asking the king of Israel, whom he's already invading, taking slaves from his land, to now heal him of leprosy. And what's the king thinking? Oh my goodness. If, if, if I can't do this, but even if I could, would I? I can't do this because I can't do this. When Naaman's dreams are dashed and the king of Aram is disappointed, I'm going to have another battle on my hand to which we will lose more people, more lives, more people taken away in slavery. The king of Israel is terrified. This little Israel girl is full of faith, but the king of the people of God is scared. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Elisha is like, really? Where is your faith? You are the king of the people of God. Send him to me. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. And Naaman's traveled all this way to see the famous prophet Elisha, the famous prophet of God, the man of God. And Elisha doesn't come out to meet Naaman, the most important military commander of the Aramean army. Isn't that interesting? Elisha doesn't take time to come out to meet him. And I've wondered this past week, why not? Why not? Elisha could have gone out to meet him, but he didn't. And I wonder, I just wonder if maybe in this moment, Elisha wanted to prove to Naaman that if he was going to receive healing and he would be able to if he wanted it, it wasn't going to come from a man. It would only come from the one true God. The story isn't about Elisha. The story is about God. That The main character in the story isn't Elisha. The main character in the story is Yahweh. And Elisha wasn't about to steal, to steal the headline. He wasn't about to become the main character in the story that God's writing. Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Verse 12, 
Aren't the rivers, Damascus, by the way, the Abana and the Farpar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. This is not a man who's, you know, he's used to getting his way. He's not used to things going a different way. He's got a huge unmet expectation here. He walks away in rage because Naaman wanted, what did he want? He wanted a person-centered experience with Elisha. But what Elisha wanted for Naaman was a God-centered experience with Yahweh. Verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and they said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? You're a brave man. You would do anything. There's nothing that you couldn't do. Sir, wouldn't you have done it? So should you, shouldn't you certainly obey him when he says simply, go wash and be cured? So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And guess what? His skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Now, here's what I think that happened in this moment. I don't think Naaman believed for one moment this was going to work. I don't. I think it's almost time for college football season, praise God. I think Naaman was throwing a Hail Mary pass here, right? He had nothing to lose except maybe his, you know, pride to go and in humility dip himself in what he considered to be the nasty Jordan River. But don't miss this. Because Naaman, in humility, obeyed God, he experienced healing. And this is still true today, right? Whenever you and I, in humility, are obedient to God, we will always experience healing. And don't misunderstand me because you know what I'm saying here. I'm not saying you're always going to experience physical healing, but you know that this is true. When you do what God says do, you experience the healing of God in your life, whether it's in your relationships or in your finances or with your family or whatever it is. We know this is true, that God has a design and a desire for our life. He has a will for us. And if we just simply do what he says, if we are obedient to the God of the universe... Over and over in our, God, in our lives, we will experience the healing of God because humble obedience to God always leads to the, obe- to, to the healing of God. And this is what happens for Elisha. And my guess is, is that when this happened, when, when Naaman came up from the water, no one was more surprised than him. But no one was more delighted than God. Why? Because Naaman wasn't just the military leader of the enemy army. Naaman was created in the image of God. This young slave girl knew it. Elisha knew it. And now in this moment, Naaman was experiencing it. But it all started with her courage. It all started with her faith. And so it brings me back to the question of who is it in your life that God has positioned you to share the love of God with. I'll never forget, I can tell the story today because my, my mom and dad are here this morning. And when I was growing up, I went to uh, a Christian school and my dad was the Bible teacher and chorus director at that school. And so when I got into high school, I got to sing in the chorus uh, with my dad and my friends. And um, I remember one day we were at this uh, country church 
and uh, it was their homecoming, and it was like 120 million degrees outside, and we had had the, the classic, um, you know, luncheon where all the church ladies brought all the casseroles, and you're, you don't even know what you're eating, but it's good, and you're just eating as much as you can, and, and we get up after all that to sing, and uh, the AC was not working, the windows were open, but we were dying, and we're wearing our, our suits, and the girls were wearing those big dresses, and it's a million degrees, and we're singing, and we're singing, and we're singing, and Dad's directing, and it's going great, and everyone's enjoying it, and then it, it, I, I can remember like it was yesterday, things for me started going dim. And I thought I was dreaming. I was singing, but I couldn't keep up. It was like it was in slow motion, and then it all went dark. (laughs) Apparently, if you lock your knees, especially in a hot day, uh, singing 90 miles an hour, you will faint. And I don't know what happened next. I only know what my friends told me is that they caught me, and they laid me down on the stage behind me, and a couple of doctors from the audience came up and ran around to check on me. But you know what my dad did? He kept directing. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Dad. You know, my friends did, they kept singing. Don't misunderstand me. My dad did the right thing. My friends did the right thing. But I tell you, in the world we live in today, sometimes I think the church needs to stop. And we need to stop. And we need to look around us to see who needs our help and who needs healing. We can get so caught up, and I'm right here with you. We can get so caught up in this thing called church, that sometimes we become blind to what the people around us need. They need help. <laughs> but we're too busy. They need hope. But we got to go to church. I don't have to recount the events of the past few weeks. You guys know what's going on. One of my good friends by the name of Jason Mundy I met him in Atlanta. He now lives in Alabama, but um, he's a really good friend of mine. And 30 years ago this month, uh, he entered the United States as a baby. You'll see a picture of him on the screen behind me. He's from Korea. And this is a picture of his gotcha day when his mom, Tom, and Jenny picked him up at the airport in Washington, Washington D.C. and adopted him. And after the events of the past couple of weeks... Jason was moved to write an article about his experience of racism as someone who has lived in this country in a a white family, but Asian through and through. And he writes about the kind of racism he experiences weekly, if not daily. The kind of comments that he gets, the things that people say to him, the way he's treated. I'll, I'll just be honest, it completely blew my mind. And as he wrote, I just wanted to share with you just just something he said. As he was telling his story, he said this. He said, do not give them fuel to make their bonds stronger. Instead, show restraint, respect, in love, protest the idea, but show people that there is something better that they can belong to. Then he said this, crazy met with crazy usually results in crazy, but crazy met with love, now that has the power to change. And I think this is what we're called to do. 
we're called to be a people who, when things go crazy in the world around us, we don't react. We're not surprised, disappointed, sad, all, yes, all that. But we respond with love. Because this is the way of Christ. We respond with love. I mean, we know this, we, we talk about this. That when we, when we love people and share the hope of God with them, that it opens the door for them to be eternally changed. But what the story of Elisha and the slave girl and Naaman teaches us, it's not that just when we love people, it's when we love our enemies. It's when we love those not like us. It's when we love those who have done us harm and would do us harm again. When we love them with the love of God, with the love of Christ, we open the door for them to be eternally changed. And I think this is fundamentally how we live different in the world around us. And I think that God has positioned you and positioned me to love people to love people with the love of Christ, who don't know the love of Christ, who are outside the love of Christ. But if we keep on walking, if we don't stop what we're doing, if we don't take the time, we're called. We're called to have the same courage that slave girl had, to have the same faith that Elisha had, to have the love of Christ to bring healing to the world around us. I know you've heard the verse. We quote it all the time. For God so loved people just like me, who look like me, who think like me, who voted like me, who talk like me, who believe like me, that he gave his one and only son to die for everyone just like me. Oh, wait. That's not at all what Jesus said. Jesus said, For God so loved, say it with me, the world. God so loved the world. He even loved the military leader of the enemy army. God so loved the world. And now today he's calling you and me to step into this world and to love this world with the love of Christ. And if you don't get this, this is the biggest idea in the history of the world that we respond with love, that Jesus nailed to a Roman cross by Roman nails, by Roman soldiers, looked on them not with hate, not with revenge. That's what I would have done. That's what you would have done. Jesus looked on them with love and said, Father, forgive them. And so it's my prayer that you and I, church, would have eyes to see. I see the world the way God sees the world. I see the world the way Jesus sees the world. I see people not with hate, but with love. And that you and I would fundamentally live in a different way. That we would fundamentally speak in a different way. That we would fundamentally behave in a different way. That we would be people who love. Why? Because Christ first loved us. Greater love is no one than this, that he laid in his life for his friends. Then Jesus turned around and died for you and me. And even if it means our death, we are called 
to step into the world around us, even if it means the end of our job, even if it means the end of the relationship, even if it means the end of you fill in the blank, we're called to love. We're called to give our lives in the love and service of others. So may we only speak words of love. May we only act in ways of love. May we be people of love. May we live different because we love different, because Christ loved us, and may we have eyes to see what Christ sees. May our hearts break with him. I know he's sad today, and I know he cries, and I know our hearts are with those who have lost. Our hearts are with those who are victims. But we are called to step into this world, to live different, to love different because of Jesus. I've asked the praise team to sing a song over us this morning, and so I hope this is okay. I wanted to give us a moment to just reflect on this idea. So if you would, just take a moment in the quietness of this room as our praise team sort of ministers to us and sings this song over us, to hear these words and to think about what Jesus is calling us to do in this world. And then I'll get up after that and offer a final thought. But if you would, just take a moment to listen to the words of this song. Be more of who you are. May what I behold still my anxious heart. Take what I have known and break it all apart. You, my God, are greater still. Give me eyes to see more of who you are. May what I behold Hey!
No doubt restrains all you are The greatness of our God I spend my life to know And I'm far from close to all you are The greatness of our God And no sky contains No doubt restrains all you are The greatness of our God I spend my life to I should tell you how the story ends. Naaman came up out of that water, completely healed. He went back to the house of Elisha. And at that point, Elisha came out to meet him because at this point, Naaman knew it was undeniable. It wasn't what Elisha did. It was what God had done. And Naaman had this request. It's a strange request. 
He said, can I take some dirt from here? Isn't that crazy? I want to take some dirt right here and put it on these mules and take it back to my house so I can put it on the ground and I can build an altar because from this day forward, there's only one God I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship your God. Wow. The man who came in as an enemy left as a friend. The one who came in as the military leader of the enemy army left as a worshiper of the one true God. So don't you tell me that love doesn't have the power to change. Because love does. Love has the power to change. This is what we know. When we love people, especially when we love our enemies with the love of God, the love of Christ, we open the door for them to be eternally changed. This is the power of the love of God. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask our elders and their wives to make their way around the room. And we're going to sing one more song. And, and if you need for us to pray over you this morning, if there's stuff in your life where you're hurting and you don't know where to get, go to get help, I'm not saying we have the answers, but we'll be glad to usher you into the presence of God. If you feel like your heart for far too long has not been open to the love of Christ. We would love to pray over you and ask God's love to change you. If you feel like your words and your actions have not been like those of Jesus Christ and you need in your own life to change the way you speak, to change the way you behave, that, 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 that the way you live would be different, that the way you love would be different, that you would be more like Christ, we would love to pray over you. So they're gonna be around the room and they're just there to pray. So if you would, let's sing this final song. And this week, let's be moved as a church, to live different because of Jesus, because love has the power to change.